listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. The sales discovery process and its critical importance, the mindset shift that's needed there and misperceptions about the time that salespeople should actually be spending in discovery and why early stage interview phase of selling is typically where improvement in the closing phase needs to actually happen. That's the focus of our episode today on mental selling. I'd like to welcome everyone who's listening from wherever and whenever you're listening. Welcome, I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and today I have the great pleasure of being joined by two guests who I've known for many years who are highly qualified to talk about this with us. They are Lisa Weaver and Jay Cohn from Unstuck Minds. Lisa and Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting us. So to jump right in, I'd like to begin um, with a question about before you started actually developing your point of view about the sales discovery process, what was each of your mindsets about sales and and how those evolved? Let's let's start with you, Jay. Thanks, Will. Yeah, I, I mean, I have not ever thought of myself as being in a sales function. And in fact, I think I had a lot of um, kind of noise in, in my head about sales and I was felt like I was very defensive um, and resistant whenever a salesperson was in conversation with me through the years. Uh, when Lisa and I met, we were both working at a company called Interaction Associates. Lisa was in the sales business development function. I was a consultant, so we would often partner and I would get called in, but I, I never wanted to be part of the initial conversation. I just wanted to be there when the conversation turned towards what would the solution be. And I found that, that it was really in that initial conversation where the real consulting work was being done. But because of my attitude towards sales, um, I tended to resist even being contacted until there was something specific to talk about. Now, so how has it evolved? Right. Lisa and I are now in business together, and uh, I, all I do is sales. So I guess I'm now a salesperson, <laughs> and I'm I'm learning I'm learning really what that means by watching somebody like Lisa, who has figured out a way to to do this work in a way that feels like every conversation she's in, she's adding value. And uh, that has really altered my perception of what great sales looks like. What about you, Lisa? Because you've been in, in, you know, classic sales role for many years. Yeah. Well, Jay, thanks for saying that. If I can convert you, then there's anyone can be converted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I started in sales 15, 20 years ago. And you know, relationship has always been at the forefront for me when it comes to sales. So it's less about the product or the service. It's more about how am I with this person and being in relationship first and really feeling like I understand that human and that we are having um, an interesting and fun interaction where we can kind of start to be ourselves together. So 
I still believe that. I, I think the evolution has happened around, and maybe this is Jay's influence a little bit, but around how curious I get about not just the person, but what are the problems that they care about? What's going on for them inside the organization? And how do I really spend some more time there, really understanding what it is that we're here to solve? Or maybe we don't know what we don't know, and let's be really open to whatever comes our way. I used to want to be armed with you know, once I'm in relationship, okay, let's move into what we're here to get done and go straight down to, you know, the core questions to start moving through the sales process. And now in this early phase, especially of discovery, it's like, I'm not, I don't have the need anymore to be so efficient. So it actually gives the opportunity to build more rapport and relationship, but really understand and help the person we're in relationship with understand what's really going on, even things they might not have thought of. And so bringing value through kind of that curiosity in addition to care in the relationship. And what you were saying about being uh, efficient, really, but that's that's what the discovery process and the relationship building process does, right? It creates that efficiency and, and relationship versus, you know, the, the opposite perspective of of skipping ahead to the products and about us sort of thing. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive. In the long run, you're right. I think it does create a lot of efficiency and um, greater success over the long haul. But it's hard to go there in the beginning because you feel like there's some rush for, you know, for us to be productive together. And there's an expectation potentially on the side of the client that's we're here to talk about something, not this other thing that we're now talking about. So we've had to shift even how clients think about that first conversation with us. Uh And we can get the vibe when people are getting annoyed, like you've asked me one too many questions here and I'm not sure where we're going. So it is definitely got to, keep an eye on that. But I do think if people can slow down in the beginning, the go slow to go fast, that's yeah. kind of what we found to be the key. And that's been a, the shift for me. Let, let, me um, let me say something about this efficiency thing, because I, I think it's a really important idea. Um, if you think about efficiency, what it, there's two possible things you could be saying here. One is, I'm bored and I need, we need to move things along here. I want things to go faster. Mm -hmm. That's not really about being efficient. That's about taking care of some needs you have that, um, that are coming up for you as a kind of an emotional response to the situation you're in. The other way to think about efficient is I have a goal and my job is to get there as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about this, I'm sure. But one of the things we're, where we believe about the discovery process is that if you think about the word discovery, it's not really a goal-oriented moment. So to, if you go in with a mindset of being efficient, it almost presumes that you have some place you're headed and you want to get there efficiently. And we're sort of suggesting that you may have a place that you want to get to, and you also need to be open to, you know, it's like when you're on a road trip, um, and you have to get to a certain place by the by the end of the day, yeah. and you but you pass a really interesting historical marker, 
you know, right. we're, we're suggesting that you pull off the road and right. visit the historical market. Yeah, the, the journey is the destination, as they say, right? Yeah. But, and, and I think you're, the way you've just phrased it, Lisa, about go slow to go fast is just such a, a great way to summarize it. Now, um, so salespeople, they, they, especially younger salespeople, they tend to want to rush past the discovery process. Um, they often actually even fail to prepare for the discovery process discussion in the first place. You know, so it's the lack of pre-call planning and creating well thought out questions and, and sometimes even walking into those initial calls, asking questions that the buyer expects that they already know the answer to, right? So why is there such impatience? And, and from your point of view, how can we teach salespeople to, to do what you're talking about, Jay, slow down, think differently, you know, take the time, be more disciplined. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll say one semi-controversial thing about, about why, and, you know, Lisa can probably speak from more experience. I have, I have a hunch that a lot of the, the systems and structures around the sales function um, push people to focus on efficiency and to meet certain goals and to hit certain uh, milestones. Their incentive compensation and performance is all being oriented towards this is your job, you know, hit these metrics. And there's, there's no there's no real conversation about how how well did you get to know that person? How deep did you build that relationship? How much trust do you think was uh, the result of that conversation? Those are things that are hard to measure, so we don't bother. So I think there's a there's an element of that to it as well. And if you're new to sales and you want to do a good job, doing a good job is going to be defined by the organization's metrics. Yeah, I definitely think there's an expectation setting that happens by the organization and the head of sales that says we right. expect this many calls each week, this many, you know, movements forward, however you measure that. So that can sometimes lead to less prep and more. Let me just get into these conversations and rush it through to meet some metrics. I also think certain salespeople and many we prefer being in the conversation to the research, you know, so it's a little bit of a preference in what we love and what we're drawn to. Um, and I'm speaking for myself. That's the part I want to get into and spend the most time in. So it requires a bit of discipline and understanding that that conversation is going to be richer if I do the research up front and understand a little bit more about what I'm heading into. It shows that you do care and that you understand the organization and where they're coming from versus making them share all the things that they've probably said a million times to people in their intro or, you know, so I feel like you can get to the heart of the matter um, and show that care for the person you're in relationship with if you've done that research up front. Yeah, you're so much more likely to advance the conversation, develop that trust, all those, yeah. all those things. And be able to ask the questions that are going to help open up possibilities and really get that understanding um, versus keeping it maybe surface level, you know, yeah. or never even earning the right to get underneath the hood with them. Right. 
But I think what, what you're we're both saying is is so spot on about it, it really begins with the culture of the sales organization and the priorities of the sales leader and how much he or she puts emphasis on the numbers and the metrics and you gotta make this many calls and all those things versus, hey, is the focus on do you, do we really understand what this customer needs and what that customer wants to move the needle on, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If and that's the focus, then then the discovery process is gonna be emphasized that much more. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. and it could be with new salespeople that they don't really know what to look for, where to go. They don't have the skill or competency or tool to help them understand even what's a good use of my time in this research phase or what should I be looking for and asking about. So some of that might be a training and understanding piece as well. Yeah, I think part of it is a byproduct of the training that the salesperson receives, because if that training is about um, being force fed, primarily, you know, the company's product information and, you know, this is our CRM process and this is what's so great about our products, then that's going to make the salesperson, that's where their passion is going to lie, right? They want to talk about that stuff because that's what they've been right. taught themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I worked for a pharmaceutical company and did sales for them and one of my first sales jobs. And the amount of time I was in a room learning about when the person says this, here's what you can say back. And, you know, the majority of the training was around products and services, knowing yours inside and out, mm -hmm. and then what to say in the conversation. I don't know if I had anything in the discovery piece, right? A little bit, but I do think it's not emphasized very much um, in, in that way either. Yeah. And the, the, that eagerness, that, that passion is uh, admirable to a large extent, but it is, it only becomes relevant to the client when the client has told you that it is. And so, you know, you find this out through asking thoughtful questions, being present, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, it's not only about asking questions, but actually listening <laughs> to the answers. That's another thing salespeople struggle to slow down and do, right? Which is to actually listen to what they're being told when they've asked a good question. Yeah, this is a big, this is a big topic for us. It's not just new salespeople that can get excited and they're, they're eager to share something with whomever they're talking to. And because they feel eager to share something, then they're really just waiting for an opportunity to say what's on their mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think that that's pretty much what listening is, waiting for an opportunity. It's like you're just pausing for a moment. Um, and we, we use a term, uh, attention agility, to, to sort of focus the listening on what is getting your attention is your attention wrapped up in your own thoughts and desires and motivations and goals or are you able to give your attention to what you're hearing and the information that's coming across and the way in which the the customer is speaking about it or the client is speaking about it so that you can pick up on some of the subtle cues and the real trick with the, the idea of agility is, can you move from whatever strategy you had for the conversation 
to something that is clearly more important to the customer than whatever it is you came in prepared to talk right. about. Right. And if you can't notice that, then you, you stand no chance of being able to ask about it. But when you do notice it, are you able to then be curious and ask great questions in the moment in order to maybe mine that, um, you know, that vein a little bit, even if it wasn't what you intended to do? Yeah, and, and really listening for what your client partner cares about. So definitely the attention agility, but as you're practicing it, often we as salespeople are listening for that cue that says, ooh, that connects to what we offer. I'm now going to remember that and dig into that thing. Mm -hmm. But instead of listening for the what we're primed to hear, the a shift could be let's prime ourselves to listen for what excites this client partner. So what emotion, when do we notice their eyes getting wider or them really digging into a topic that we're like, we don't know what's, what's so important about this to what we're thinking. Well, we want to, right? Like we can see this as a passion. So you kind of start to try to notice that more than what bullet point they said of the 10 things they said, these two tie to what we do. Let's dig in there. No, rather let's listen for what they care about. And we think the goal of those initial discovery conversations or what you're going for is that that client partner on the other side feels seen, heard, and valued, and that you get it. And if we can make that the mindset of the mindset isn't let me move it to the next phase of the sales process here, and that's what success looks like in this discovery conversation, but rather this client partner feels seen, heard, and valued in whatever way that whatever that means to them and that they feel at the end of the day we get it, that earns us the right to move forward. But if we don't do that, no matter how much we can talk about eloquently our um, our products and services and how it might connect, I feel like that's not important if you haven't done this first part first of helping them feel that you have seen her valued and you get it. Yeah, and this, uh, the, this idea of attention agility, I was going to ask you about that later. Um, but from your perspective, how how do you develop that? Is that is that through what coaching conversations should be focused on? Is it like peer sharing and, and sort of role playing? Like how does how does that muscle get developed? Oh, that's a really great question. That's that is that is the question. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, on the one hand. It's a it's a lifelong pursuit of of really um, becoming more comfortable being in a moment with someone and being okay with uncertainty and ambiguity um, that allows the space for something to emerge and then being able to put your attention there and to inquire about it and. I mean, we have a we have a framework. We I'm not sure if we want to talk about it now or later. That helps people sort of develop a kind of a, a way to uh, look more carefully at the situation and whatever is going on. Um, but but I'd say maybe the short answer to this is um, you 
you you need to be comfortable um, allowing things to emerge, even if you um, even if it means that there's a bit of an awkward silence, or uh, or you meander around a topic for a while. Uh-huh. Eventually, what you're listening for is how somebody is thinking, and if you can learn to listen for how somebody is thinking they will feel heard and they will feel seen and valued. And eventually they'll say to you, you know, I really think you get it. Uh, but that's a, that, that's a, that's a difficult thing to develop if it's not something that you've ever been taught to do or hasn't ever been a priority for you, or you haven't been sort of incented to do it. I think it's this practice of thinking about your thinking and even outside of your work or a sales conversation. I think that's where the practice starts is noticing what you notice and what gets your attention and what doesn't and finding ways to get curious about the things that don't typically get your attention or being in situations where you're uncomfortable because you have no expertise. You've never talked about something before. It's new to you and adopting kind of this beginner's mind of, Instead of getting uncomfortable and saying, I'm out, this isn't my space, let me remove myself, it's stopping, noticing that reaction you're having, settling into it, and then just getting curious and having that beginner's mind that asks questions and that is okay not knowing and seeing, like Jay said, what might emerge from that. And I feel like the more... I've tried to do that, the more enjoyable it is versus nerve wracking. I'm, I might've started being super uncomfortable in those situations, but now I see it as the place where possibilities and innovation come from that I never could have seen possible. So it's like putting yourself in that discomfort more often, whether starting out in a safe way to do that with maybe news you're looking at or things you're noticing and reading and paying attention to into stepping into those conversations where you aren't the expert and you don't know much, but you get into that curiosity and beginner's mind and then thinking about your thinking and other people's thinking. And it's kind of, it gets interesting, at least for me, the more I do it, the more interesting it gets. And then it build, it becomes a more of a habit and a routine for you. So Jay, you were making reference to uh, a model earlier that you've used around this, this idea. Can you and Lisa both expand upon it? Cause I know we, we talked about it a little bit offline, but I, I'd love for the audience to hear more about this. Sure. Yeah. Um, this came out of work I did um, as I was um, doing my dissertation and the, it's built on this idea that the questions we ask are really important. They, they reveal a lot about our thinking Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for people to be able to notice how they notice or think about how they think. So what would be a kind of a, a simple but powerful framework that would allow people to pay attention to the things that are mostly invisible or hidden. So we call the framework scan. It stands for S C A N structures, context, assumptions, and needs. And those are four things that we don't notice, but have a tremendous influence on what we can do, what opportunities exist, what threats are out there. So structures are all about 
our habits, our processes. You know, we talked earlier about incentive comp plans. That's a really important structural element that influences behavior, but we don't always make that connection because we're not paying attention to structures. They just, they just organize how we do things. C, context, that's all about the environmental stuff going on, the factors out there that we don't control, but that, you know, could represent opportunities and threats. Assumptions are all about the kind of beliefs that we hold about the world, our business, our customer, uh, the beliefs that the customer holds about their world. And again, these are things that are very influential, but that we don't notice. And then finally, needs, which are all about what matters to the people who matter to us. Um, we, we often take a very sort of surface level understanding of what people say they want, but we don't go a little bit deeper to really reflect on what are the needs that are driving their behaviors and, and what they're telling us. So all four of those things, SCAN, are hidden. They're all critically important. And we think that if you're going into a discovery conversation, you can actually think about the world of your customer through those four dimensions. What are the, because structures and assumptions are the things that are going to hold things in place. They, they sort of maintain the status quo. They resist change. And context and needs are the kinds of things that present sort of opportunities for something new. They, they represent what's changing in the environment that we should be paying attention to. So if you can think about those four things for your customer, um, you'll be able to have better questions and then in the discovery conversation, you can listen for how your, uh, your client or your customer is speaking about those four things. I have an example in mind, but maybe let me pause for a second, Lisa, to see if you want to add anything about the, the framework. And then I can tell a quick yeah. story about how we used it for a conversation with a client that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think the example will illuminate some of this, but what I've noticed as a, in sales is if you don't uncover some of the hidden structures, like how decisions get made or um, what's going on in the organization that might, they might be saying, we want this change to happen and we want your help to help us change a technology or a way that we do something or the way people behave. What they might not realize is that there's some structures holding that in place. And if we're not un understanding that or if we don't uncover that, that could either undermine the solution that we recommend and make it not work. Or we might not be paying attention to something and propose a solution that once we present it, they're like, whoa, they didn't get us at all. Or even in the decision making process, we're presenting to someone who's ultimately, you know, not needs aren't being met. So that structure piece is important as well as the assumptions they hold. And if we're not uncovering some of that through the discovery, it'll bite us later, or right. that's how we might not fully understand things as we present a solution and it, you know, it can undermine you moving through the sales process or even getting to where they buy and then realizing later we scoped this totally wrong because we didn't understand these things that are going to block us or hold us in place later. Um, and, and then of course on the context and need side, that's really can be eye opening when you can open up 
an understanding with your client partner in that discovery conversation where you're asking them a question about some trends that are changing and they realize they haven't lifted their head up in a while to pay attention to that. And now you've helped them see that um, or understand a need of somebody that they hadn't really been paying attention to, an unexpressed need. And once that insider light bulb moment happens, you've become this trusted partner pretty quickly when you can help that person who's been stuck around something or hasn't seen something really have a shift in how they can think now. So just to say how powerful this can be when you do uncover these hidden things that your clients didn't even know about, um, it's really important throughout the whole process, but this is really where it starts. And I know, Jay, you have a, an example you said you wanted to talk about, but one of the things that struck me is uh, you alluded to this in your comments was getting to the heart of what's going on internally in that organization, right? And who the other players and decision makers and influencers are as, as more and more of selling is account focused and not lead focused. And there's, you know, you get up into larger and larger companies and the expansive buying committees, that's got to be part of what is discussed up front, right? Like who else needs to be involved? Who else mm -hmm. are influencers, that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, that, that goes to the kind of the end of the model, the needs part where we believe that not only do you have to get deeper into the needs of the person you're in conversation with, who we typically call the the client partner. So in the kind of in the kind of selling that we do, which is a professional services selling, there's very often a client partner who's who's the person we're in in contact with that has asked us in or that we're having the initial conversation with or that has been empowered to you know move us through the, the process, but they're but they're generally not the decision maker. Um, so there's also a buyer or a group of people who are the buyers. And then there are, in our case, the users who actually, once the agreement has been made and, 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 the, and the, the solution has been purchased, there's a whole different group of people who are going to actually benefit from the solution. So it's really important to understand the distinction among those groups because they all have different needs. And sometimes you may be crafting your solution for the needs of the users without taking into consideration the people who ultimately are going to be buying or making that decision. So in this particular story that I wanted to illustrate the scan model with, that was one of the things that we bumped up against and we had to shift because the person that we were in, the client partner was saying, we need some basic management development skills. We want you to help uh, our new managers learn some foundational skills. So of course we have decades of experience putting these kinds of programs together, but it was in conversations with the people who were the ultimate decision makers that we started to recognize that there's a different set of needs that we have to take into consideration. And those needs are around the fact that this is a creative advertising agency where everything is being driven by their client. And if we don't design a program that's going to work for the way that they work, the buyers will never agree to it. So that was in the needs area. In the structure area, what we discovered was um, they, they were very quickly into hybrid work. So they needed something that was going to be asynchronous as well as synchronous. 
They were going to need something that, that took into consideration uh, the fact that they are not sort of masters of their own time. Whenever their clients need something, they have to jump. In the context area, we discovered that what was really important to them was to make sure that, that they could respond to trends in what their most creative people wanted in order to stay engaged. And they knew that they were in kind of a competition for talent and that people were much more interested in being able to be more autonomous in the way they work, but that was a big trend. So again, we had to pay attention to that trend. And then in the assumptions area, what we discovered was that um, a lot of people were holding uh, assumptions that managing was something different than working. And that when you teach management skills, you're doing that in isolation, but that's not actually the way that they work. And ultimately, we came up with a program that we called Player Coach, which was the branding required to get everybody on board because it spoke to what they, their reality, which was, we're never just managers. We're always player coaches. We're all on the field. We all have individual deliverables and responsibilities. And we also have the additional responsibility of helping others up their game. Once we put it into that framing uh, and took it away from managing in isolation from doing, that's when we were able to build something that really worked for them. Yeah. And I think with a lot of what you, you're talking about here and that the, that scan model is really interesting and it, it reminds me of something one of our sales consultants uh, facilitators talks about, which is there's something in sales called the, the friend zone, right? Where sometimes sales, they get too comfortable <laughs> They get too comfortable, and they, so they stop asking. A, they stop asking questions, and B, they stop asking great, open-ended questions mm. that'll help. To what you were saying, Jay, which is you know make the prospects help them uh, to think differently about how they're currently getting their job done and, and and what's possible and what their real needs might be. How, Lisa? How would you say salespeople learn to? Uh, you know, there's that. It's two parts, right? It's it's a willingness to ask questions and spend the, the time and like we've been talking about, have the patience, but it's also about asking really good questions, uh, not the close-ended yes, no sort of thing or the like classic, what's keeping you up at night things, but, but right. questions that are really going to help customers envision progress and envision their future differently. Right. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, this model's really helped me not to sound cliche. Our model's how you do it. Um, but it really has helped in the preparation of those conversations, but even in the moment, realize that there are some open questions that need to be explored. And you can start with scan as kind of a cheat sheet and some you know, simple questions, one in each to help you open up things like I love the question around what's changing for you? You know, what's what's changing lately that you've been paying attention to? And that really opens up a lot or, um, you know, there's there's things in the assumptions where you're listening for things and you're trying to understand or question. And I think one of the things that gets salespeople tripped up me as well is 
I want that person to not feel uncomfortable, right? We're trying to build rapport and relationship. And sometimes these questions feel hard and it requires a lot of thinking and silence on our part. So I'm, I'm known for asking an open-ended question, but then giving them like two or three choices to make it easier for them to answer. (laughs) And that's a habit I'm trying to break. And that I now notice is I start with a really great open-ended question. And then I start worrying. They won't know how to answer it and let me make this easier for you. And that really undermines what we're going for here. So I think the big mindset shift is getting a little unco- a little more comfortable that you're going to have to wait for an answer. Yeah. You're going to have to watch your client potentially struggle through figuring it out there in the moment and saying, wow, I've never thought about that. And sitting there while they think about it. So part of it is that, right? Like, reframing what that conversation is going to sound like and that you're not going to always be in a comfortable place with your friend or that person that you want, you care about, right. Is ultimately knowing this will open up something really cool. That's my belief. It'll open up possibilities we haven't even gone to and they'll get benefit from it, but it's going to require us to slow down and think together and me wait as they think and put some of these pieces together they've never really thought about. Um, and then yeah. maybe you could speak to some of the questions just as a starting point. I mentioned though, what's changing around here or why is this important now? You yeah. know, and some of these that open it up and you know you can use these as starter questions. And then as you get more comfortable, you'll be able to navigate and know how to ask those open-ended questions more relevant to the situation. Yeah. You have to get comfortable with silence, right? On both ends, both as a salesperson, you've got to be comfortable um, pondering yourself what you want to say and not just jumping in or having that, you know, if they say this, then I say that sort of automated aspect of, of the way some salespeople can operate, but also give the, the customer, the buyer, the, the grace, if you will, of letting them not know the, the answer, letting them think through it, because that's part of developing that, that trust and, and credibility and rapport as you're helping them take the time to think differently, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, um, I would say, you know, some of the questions from the other buckets just to give people a feel for it. And it's not just necessarily coming up with questions. It's also learning how to listen to answers because sometimes you'll ask a question like very common for me is I'm very interested in contextual things. The contextual things are things that are outside the control of your, of your customer, but that are going to have an important influence. So these could represent threats or opportunities, new technology, new regulation. It could be social trends. Uh, And so I'm very interested in these things because oftentimes people are not really thinking about those things until it's a little bit too late, right? Like something has happened and it's disrupted. So I'll often ask about those things, but of course, if you're not prepared to answer questions about those things, those can be difficult questions, you know, like, um, what, you know, if I say, 
What, um, what have you noticed is changing about the competitive landscape, right? That may be a question that the person you're in, in conversation with hasn't really given much thought to or about and not prepared to answer. But, if, but what they might answer is they might say something about, well, we, we realize that, um, that we're going to have to make some changes to our cost structures in order to remain competitive. So that's an example of posing a question about context and getting an answer about structure. And, and so if you can learn to listen to that, then you can sort, sort of say, okay, well, then let's talk about that because that's what you, that's what got your attention in this question. So that's where I'm going to go next. Tell me about, tell me about your cost structure. What's, what's going on there, right? So having this kind of tool in the background is just one of these things that's going to allow you to develop a strategy in the moment to move around to get a really Again, because discovery is about exploration and you want to explore all the territory. Yeah. Um, then you'll know where you want to focus. I'd like to ask a question, sort of flip it from to the customer's perspective. What do you think customers expect a salesperson in, in the discovery phase? What do you think they really expect the salesperson to show up knowing? Or, you know, in, in, for example, to, to what degree is um, industry knowledge important and knowledge about their competitors important like what, what do you expect uh, what do you think buyers expect a salesperson to show up already knowing that they don't have to run through for them given how much information is is out there and that's part of the, the pre-call planning and everything but do you have a perspective there i'm not sure there's a one size fits all i'm trying to think through depending on what you're selling and what it is you're representing you might need a depth or there the expectations are going to change about knowledge you should have i still go back to thinking that at the end of the day everyone on the other end is a human who wants to feel like they have been seen heard and valued and part of the valued piece is that you value this their time and you understand enough going in to where you you know, you've done a little bit of your homework to say, I know about you. I've done, and if you bring up, I've read an article that, you know, you wrote recently and I found it really interesting and you understand them a little bit going in, that tends to say, ooh, they care. They've yes. taken the time. Um, they respect my time and they understand me. And if you really go back to the premise that, you want them to walk away from that conversation thinking you get it, that's going to help you get there faster. Otherwise you might start the conversation with, you know, tell me what you hope to get out of this conversation, which might still be important to ask because things change day to day in their world and in yours. So you only know so much and you want to know what they care about there but if you haven't done your homework or your research on them or you don't know about your products enough or, or what, they, what they're going to be um, hoping for, how it connects, then sometimes I think time can be wasted in a way. Or you'll, again, have them bring you up to speed on something you could have learned in other ways. Um, so I think you have to be thoughtful about the value of their time and then 
knowing you might have a certain amount of time with them, what kind of questions do you want to ask? And if you want to get deeper, knowing some of that surface information ahead of time will help you get there faster. Especially in more, as virtual selling has obviously become so prominent, you know, the those prospect meetings that might have historically been 90 minutes across a conference room table can now be 15 or 20 minutes on Zoom. And you better you better use that time efficiently, right? Yeah, it was a big adjustment for me to not have the exploratory lunches and coffees yeah. and uh, walks, you know, yeah. where I could basically say, I'm not sure where this is going to go. We're going to go do something enjoyable together and see what comes up. You could be a little more loose there. But if you're virtual, this is not as fun. We're not eating anything together, or drinking anything together. So we better get to the point faster. So I do think the requirement to do your homework up front and do some of that research has elevated and become more important when we're selling in this virtual way versus being able to kind of give each other grace and spend more of that time if we're actually together doing something. Yeah. You know, Will, Will, you had said, what does the customer or the buyer expect? What do they, what do they want from that, from, from the conversation? And, and like Lisa said, I don't think there's a single answer to that. I do think that there's a kind of a minimum level of earning the right where it's not so much the that you've become an expert on their business, but you've demonstrated that you care enough that you've done a little homework. Yeah. Uh, so I do think it's important to do some research. I don't think it's important to show up as an industry expert. However, there may be an expectation on the buyer's part that you that you have some expertise. Oftentimes, the reason that they're interested in talking to you is because you've done business in the industry, potentially with their competitors, or maybe with other people up and down the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So what you're bringing, the solution that you're bringing is informed by their world. And I, I would want to, I would want to know with the, the client partner that I'm going to meet with, what do they, what, what is their expectation for that initial meeting? And I might try to get at it by saying, we can bring some experts to that meeting if you would like also to hear a little bit about the work that we've done in your industry. Um, or perhaps this is just an initial conversation for us to just get to know each other and to learn a little bit about your needs. So you can, if you can try and in the early interactions and communications before the meeting actually happens to frame it up a little bit, you'll be able to better meet whatever their expectation is because each situation is going to be a little different. Right. As we're getting toward the end, but I wanted to um, just see if you had any other perspectives from a sales leadership perspective um, in, in helping and empowering salespeople to become better at the discovery process. And you talked about it early on in the discussion around it's part of the, the culture, right? What's important to the sales leader and is it all about the numbers and you've got to make more calls sort of thing. Is there anything else that you would give advice to a sales leader around making the reps lives easier to, to spend the time on this that's needed, but also to do it better? 
One thing that comes to mind, and I haven't had a lot of conversations lately with sales leaders, so I'm presuming some of this, um, but I do think this idea of quality over quantity as an idea um, is one to keep in mind. I do know there's a discipline. It's a numbers game to some extent. If you're not in the conversation, then nothing matters, right? You have to be in conversations to see where they go. Um, But I do think, like Jay mentioned early, some of the what you're looking for and measuring being around quality of relationships. Um, If you have four conversations, how are you moving those forward? And do people feel like you're coming to them with really high quality approaches and solutions that you can really dig into and work with them versus you have 10 conversations and one of them moves forward because you're doing haphazard discovery and you get lucky that your solution or or what you propose one of the times is going to match versus you have the 10 conversations you really, or four conversations and three of those move forward because they felt heard. So I do think there's, you know, that shift from just so, so focused on the numbers at the front of the pipeline, you know, and ushering them through quickly to maybe less conversations, but higher quality and helping with the training and the coaching on the front end around how do we do this? Well, what are great questions that you asked that really worked and opened up the conversation in a way you didn't think it would, you know, so banking some of those great questions and sharing those across the team um, and getting coaching around questions, not how we represent our products, you know, so shifting that a little bit more. And then just really the mindset of if, if salespeople can really come in calmly like their authentic selves and know that building that relationship with their client partner of care and that you're looking at it from their perspective, not what our company needs, but really caring about what the client needs and knowing that even if it's you're not the right one, it's a long game here. So how can you empower your salespeople to make referrals to others or say we may not be the best fit for this opportunity and play that long game? You know, I think the more you can help build a structure of support around that, the better off you'll be in the long run. Yeah, I think I would just add one thing specifically around sales leaders, which is role model the listening and the questioning that you want your sales team to demonstrate to their customers. They, they need to see what it looks like. They need to feel what it, look, what it, what it is um, in order for them to be able to, to replicate it. So if every conversation that you have as a leader with your, with your sales team is uh, closed-ended questions driven by the, the, the deliverables, goals, and metrics that you care about, and you don't show the sales team what it, what it looks like and what it feels like for someone to be attentive to you and to give you the time and single-minded focus that you expect them to show their customer, 
They just won't know how to do it because they'll have never seen it in action. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a great way to put it is that the sales leader has to embody what you want the, the representative to do with customers because, you know, we talk a lot about on, on this podcast how a sales leader has to know that their job is that, you know, that their sales team are their customers. So embodying it in that way will be yeah. reflective then ultimately on, on, on the buyers themselves. This has, um, this has been a great discussion because I think, you know, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about authenticity and curiosity and having a genuine desire to make customers' lives better, being what largely makes or breaks a, a successful salesperson. And I think that happens so much in the discovery process. And Jay and Lisa, you've been really fantastic at um, helping us sort of understand its importance as well as helping salespeople see specific ways that they can do this better and, and shift their their mindset around it. So I wanna thank um, Lisa and Jay so much for sharing their perspectives and insights on this critical topic for salespeople. Um, for our listeners, their firm, Unstuck Minds, which focuses on, on helping develop the habits of mind and strategies of inclusion that prepare leaders and teams to thrive under conditions of complexity and uncertainty. You learn more about the great work that Jay and Lisa are doing on their website at unstuckminds.com, uh, as well as you'll find their, the company on uh, company page on LinkedIn. On Twitter, their page is at unstuck underscore minds. Uh, and also be sure to check out Jay's new book, The Surprising Power of Not Knowing What to Do. Anything you'd say about the book, Jay? I, I think the title says it all. I, it, um, it's, it's, it's really just a, um, it's really just a description of everything that we've talked about today, this importance of the beginner's mind, attention, agility, and having these four domains that you want to look at. There's some specific ways to build that muscle that you were talking about earlier in the book as well. Well, thank you both again, Jay and Lisa. This has been really good. It's been a a pleasure to connect with you today. And um, thanks to everybody for listening. Please be sure to follow us on whatever podcast app you might be listening to us on right now. Uh, Leave us a rating or review, which really helps us to make the show better. And please join us again next time. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an integrity solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.